Everybody's going for those kinky boots, kinky boots. Kinky boots, it's a manly kind of fashion that you borrowed from the brutes. Borrowed from the brutes. Kinky boots. Hello everyone, and a very warm welcome to another edition of Kinky Boots. I'm Ken Morse. I'm Simon Exton. And this week we're reviewing The Avengers Series 1, Episode 21, The Far Distant Dead. This was written by John Lucarotti. It was filmed on the 14th of August 1961 and transmitted on the 19th of August 1961 at 8.50pm. And this went out in the ABC Midlands, ABC North, Anglia, ATV, Southern, Tynetees, Television Western Wales, Ulster, Westwood and Scottish regions. The episode is lost, unfortunately. There's no footage that we know of. There is a reconstruction that's on the Studio Canal full series box set. And Big Finish have done an audio version that can be found on Volume 7 of their Lost Episodes, which is adapted by Tom Malaburn. Uh, there's no script for this, although there are there is 57 publicity stills and 79 telesnaps. Patrick McNee doesn't appear in this one. It's the only other one in the first series is Girl on the Trapeze, but he does still get second credit, front and centre, in the listings in the TV Times. Also, Ingrid Hafner doesn't appear in this as Carol, which is one of six throughout the first series. Beyond that... I've not really got a lot else to tell you. I will just have to say, um, again, I've lifted some details this week from Piers Johnson's splendid website, Mrs. Peel Were Needed. That is a great reference page for anybody who's into the Avengers. Dr. Exton, do you have a pricey for us? I do. And again, this is taken from Dave Rogers' Ultimate Avengers. As a cyclone ravages Mexico City, Dr. Keel and Dr. Sandoval struggle to help the victims. The suffering is intensified because cooking oil that they are using is revealed to be hydraulic fluid. Somebody is playing a dangerous game and people are dying. The two doctors track down the history of the oil cans and discover that a financier named Zibruga was responsible for the deal. Dr. Sandoval has heard the name before. Making an excuse to Keel, she leaves and attempts to kill the financier in revenge for the deaths of the villagers. Keel stops her. Sympathetic to her cause, however, he allows her to make her getaway before he telephones the police. Garcia! Dr. Keel! What is the situation in Puntariki? Dr. Sandoval is doing an excellent job. Ah. What brings you back to Vera Cruz? What do you know of a man called Godoy? Godoy? Mm. Yes, an old man lives nearby, sells vegetables, fruits... Oils. He's selling hydraulic fluid, labelled as cooking oil. Hydraulic fluid? Are you sure? Mm. Have a sample with me, yeah. Smell it. Dios mio! <laughs> I wouldn't cook your alambre with it if I were you. There's cans of the stuff at the camp in Punta Riki. Apparently, Godoy's warehouse donated them to the cause. Let us bring Mr. Godoy in for a little chat, shall we? My thoughts exactly. Book yourself into the local inn. I'll have a car collect him. As ever, you'll have a list of alumni for us. Who's in this thing? Well, there are some reasonably big names in this. Tom Adams is in it, uh, who was Vorshak in The Warriors of the Deep. Also appeared in as a regular in the 
an Eden line uh, in Villains and Emergency Ward 10. We've seen him previously in Avengers episode Death on the Slipway, and he will appear in the Avengers one more time. Francis DeWolf was Agamemnon in The Mythmakers and Vazor in The Keys of Marinus and appeared in Tomorrow People as Jedekiah in two stories, Slaves of Jedekiah, which was the first Tomorrow People story, and The Revenge of Jedekiah, which was the final story of season three. Bob Raymond, uh, who appears in this as uh, an uncredited role of the first victim and has quite a, a long list of uncredited extra roles in the 1960s, was an uncredited extra on Dalek Invasion of Earth 2150 AD and will turn up five more times in The Avengers. Michael Melliger uh, played the regular character for Albert and Bergerac. Uh, he was in Game, Set and Match, Tightrope for Whom the Bell Tolls, and played the character of Kitch in Goldfinger. He will appear once more in The Avengers. Catherine Blake was a regular in Within These Walls. She also appeared in Undermind and uh, Dimensions of Fear. And last, but absolutely by no means least, Reed DeRuin appears as Par Clanton in The Gunfighters. He will appear in another episode of The Avengers, but from this story, he took on the script editor role for The Avengers, uh, carrying on through until I think the seventh episode in the in season two. And he writes a season two Avengers episode, Six Hands Across the Table. Uh, he also, he's also written for Man in Room 17, Man in a Suitcase, and It's Dark Outside. So there we go. Well, thank you for that. But it's on with the review itself. What did we think of this one? It's an odd one. I mean, part of the thing it's odd, that makes it odd is the fact that Steed isn't there. But actually, the way that it's done and towards the, the tail end, and particularly in the, the final denouement, actually, Keel is the secondary character. It's, it's very much Dr. Sandoval's story. Yes, it is. Now, in, in the original, she would have been a, an example of brownface. She was a white actress playing a, a Latin character, but of its time. Yeah, but we've been through this before. That yeah, we in, have. in those days there wasn't an abundance of Latino actors from around the or actors of all nationalities from around the world. Uh, the example I always use is not everybody can be played by Bert Kwok, but he is. <laughs> He's literally top billing well, in the next episode we're going to do. <laughs> so bad example. I must admit, I quite enjoyed this one. It was quite a linear plot. There was no major complications in it. There was no twists and turns. It was, in terms of the of what we've had so far for the first series, it was actually quite straightforward. It was just a load of hydraulic oil being swapped for olive oil and people being killed by it and a little bit of a runaround somehow working out who it is that's done it in another country. The setting for it, and again, it's credit to Big Finish's sound design and the actors that they've got to do the Chilean voices. I mean, you you do a slight tour of South America. <laughs> this, uh, some of the accents do waver well, a bit between the countries. It is set in Mexico, not Chile. It, but it does conjure up. And I was all the way through, I was thinking, how would this have looked in black and white in 1961? And it wouldn't look anywhere near as good as it did in my head. A lot of these in my head are playing like early Bond movies. And they would have looked nothing like that on screen. 
Yeah. I mean, the story comes across as very much of, of its time. Keel is very, very colonialist, isn't he? I mean, he turns up, offers to help, and then insists on precisely where he thinks he should go to help. And then when he turns up there, just starts ordering people around, even though he's got another doctor with him who's from the local area. It's, oh, you couldn't possibly know what people want better than, better than I could. You, you chappy, come here and help me. Uh, yeah, but the the local doctor does ask him outright. You know, there's a little girl that's been badly hurt, injured, very, very badly injured in the cyclone. And the local doctor says, you know, what do you think are her chances with her leg crushed and horrible internal injuries? Uh, well, what do you think? So Keel is asked outright on a couple of occasions, you know, what's your medical opinion sort of thing? But... Yeah, there's a world. There's a world of difference between what do you think and please come in and take over because <laughs> you, Great White Hope, are the only possible person who knows anything about anything. It's of its time. It just it it leapt off the page as um, as colonialized. But it is what it is, and it it's not the first time that we've seen this with Doctor Keel. Oh, well, we saw it with Steed, didn't we? In uh, which one was it? Yeah, but you, you kind of expected from from steed mm. but again of its time old boy but even bear in mind this is not the original script the original script does not exist yeah. so yeah and written in keeping with the character of dr keel who is certainly of his time it worked well i just thought it was notable before i forget to mention this there was one of the characters uh it was a minor character right at the beginning he's the first one to die on screen if you will of this hydraulic oil uh the character of Jose Alvarez, played by, in this, Andy Seacombe. Now, uh, are you familiar with Star Wars, the Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones? Yeah. Yes. There's that flying sort of slaver thing. He's blue. He's got Anakin and his mother in the first couple of films. Yeah. He sounded just like that to me. That's all I could hear in my head. Oh, Sid, you look tired. Ah, the fishing nets are heavy these days. <laughs> I'm not a young man anymore. Well, for an old man, you have caught many lobsters. And we will eat them all tonight. Mmm. <laughs> oh, they are good. Thank you. And now the sauce. You do not trust my cooking, Jose? Oh, I trust you with all my heart, my darling. But these lobsters must enter this sauce at exactly the right time. <laughs> I don't actually have a lot to say about this one. I was gripped from beginning to end. Or is that is that overstepping? <laughs> but I, I did, it had my full attention for 50 minutes. I just thought it was a nice flowing story. There were a lot of little set pieces in it. The sound design conjured up a, the whole very vivid images. And the cast were excellent. Everybody had a, a really distinctive voice in this one. It wasn't just generic Mexican or South American. That Every single voice was different. And despite everything that I've said about doubling up, there were a couple in this that were doubled up, and I didn't notice. So it can be done, just not overused. Um, yes, I, I thought it was very good. I mean, there, there are a few plot inconsistencies, so... Zebruga himself is a terrible villain. He gets found out because he he sends this illegal shipment of uh, hydraulic fluid 
disguised as oil and then forgets to tell anybody to take the disguise off. <laughs> so it sits around it sits around for ages until the person who's storing it just says, well, actually, nobody's used this yet. And this is a bit of a, a crisis. We'll just give some of the stuff away. If Zabrugger had actually followed through with his plan and got somebody to um, to sort the oil out, even if it did end, end up in the wrong warehouse or whatever, then the whole thing could have been avoided. So he, he's a bit crap on that respect. And why does he decide that it's a good idea to get Mateos to uh, to follow Kiel all the way to France? It just looked massively suspicious. Seabrook is in France. He must have other minions that could work for him. So sending a, a low-level villain all the way across the Atlantic to mooch around and take more photos... That didn't really make sense. Other than the Zeebrugger is a really crap, <laughs> crap villain. Um, <laughs> and it may have made sense to him because the rest of his plans were awful. Bit odd with the police chief where they, they say, oh, the, the only thing that we remember hearing is the name Zeebrugger. And then Kiel and Sandoval are going to disappear off to Belgium to to investigate Zeebrugger. And they've been a bit of a pain up until that point. <laughs> and, <laughs> Why didn't the policeman just say, oh, well, off you go, off you trot, <laughs> go and follow that loose end. I know exactly who Zebrugger is and I'll take over that from here. But no, he says, oh, there's a blokey around here with that very odd name. Could that have anything to do with it? Yes, it possibly could. I will go off and stick my size nines in. That bit, again, in plot terms, you don't send your leads off on a massive detour at that point because you, you're going to want them to come back to be there for the denouement. But it didn't make an awful lot of sense for the, the police chief to be saying, oh, yeah, there's, there's this bloke called Zebrugger. There were other ways they could have found that out, which would have been a little more logical. I'm assuming by this point that Keel is on the payroll for whichever organisation Steed's working for, because he just he's done this a couple of times now. He's taken himself off <laughs> unsolicited on these little jaunts and got involved. This is nothing to do with him. He's just there to treat victims of a cyclone, not investigate hydraulic oil poisoning. Which he ignores. He ignores after about three minutes, and it's just <laughs> a, yeah, okay. We, we've got we've got some planks and tables. We've got we've got a few corpses on them. Oh, there's this in, interesting mystery. I'm going to fuck off back to Mexico City and, and leave you to deal with it. Almost immediately afterwards, the only other doctor they've got then fucks off again, leaving them again with no doctors. But with the, the authorities in Mexico City thinking that they've done what they need to by sending them two doctors who have turned up and gone, oh, yeah, she's dying, right? Oh, there's a mystery. We're both buggering off to France. And thanks a fucking lot. <laughs> we'll just sort ourselves out, shall we? I'm just reading a couple of the notes here regarding this episode that Max North did a tele-review piece in the Manchester Evening News on this episode. And it said that the makers of poison cooking oil, which kills those who use it, was an idea based on a true story. There's no evidence to back this up, but there it is. Uh, and also, Pat, oh, so a sort of Doomwatch precursor. A Doomwatch precursor. A lot of the Doomwatch stories were based on real events. Oh, were they? In fact, the publicity, they got in quite a bit of trouble with publicity for the second series of Doomwatch because they, they faked up newspaper headlines to advertise the episodes. And there was one of them, they put a real newspaper headline in, because there, there was an episode kind of based around the Tristan de Kuna incident. Ah, and they, they used twitch to, sensitive. Yeah, um, I think it's one of those lessons were learned in hindsight. It was enjoyable. It, it was a nice little plot. It, was, it wasn't a typical Avengers episode, not even a typical Avengers season one episode, but it was very enjoyable. Yeah, I thought so. And again, the ones without Steed in, 
they work. I just not entirely sure they work quite as well. I mean, this one, this one, like you said, at the end, it really didn't even have keel in it. I think we've reached a point where it's time to rate this in masterminds. What do you think? For all the flaws we've talked about, I really enjoyed it. Four. Yep, I'm going to give it four as well. It is flawed, yes, and you can pick holes in all these things, as we do. But it had me entertained without my attention wandering for a good 50 minutes. And really, that's all you want, particularly when something's on audio and there's no visuals to back it up. So, yeah, hats off, Big Finish. Uh, That was a, a good adaptation of something that doesn't exist. I am loving these audio versions. I'm going to miss them when we get to Series 2, I think. Oh, I'm not. Oh, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm enjoying them, but I would much prefer to see the real thing. Oh, no, that's a fair enough viewpoint. Yeah, uh, given the choice of having a a full series of audio adaptations and the full series of prints, I don't think there's any... I don't think even the makers would argue with that. What I really would like Big Finish to do is to to do the the same treatment with other missing shows. So they've they've already got a... Uh, Callan was the one I, I was going to say. They've, they've got a really good cast for Callan. Carry on with that. Um, listen to the Adam Adamant Lives audio at some point, and ask yourself if you'd want to see if you'd want to hear any more of that. Well, I have given the Adam Adamant audio as a go, and I didn't make it to the end of the first episode. It was a real slog. But it's terrible. Yeah, I, I but you didn't see what like I mean it. about they're, they're trying to do a sort of clever looking back and laughing postmodern take on the adam adamant and it just came across as as massively piss-taking and dismissive and not anywhere near as clever as it thinks it was i do i do see that point yes uh i hadn't put it in those terms as i was listening to it but your description of it is pretty much on the button if they did adam adamant with the original scripts which i, I suspect still exist in the way that they've done the Avengers, I suspect they've been much better and an excellent series. I, Adam Adamant is great. How much of that is down to Gerald Harper's performance? I think a lot. So they would have to get somebody well, very good. But they are getting very good people. And, you know, before you listen to the audios of the Avengers, it's very tempting to say you can't possibly replace Steed. Well, you, you can. It's... Uh, a different interpretation of the character, but he's doing a good, enjoyable interpretation. Same with Adam Adamant, um, and actually the same with Callan. Oh, you, I remember the surprise that you had with Callan, that they were far better than you you imagined, uh, which must have been a little oh, I surprise. Them, I expected them to be terrible, but they were based on original James Mitchell script. Well, it took me a good few um, episodes of the audios to get into Anthony Howell as Keel and Julian Wadhamer's Steed. And those early ones were, they were enjoyable, but they're probably worth me going back and listening to again now that I've got a handle on them as Keel and Steed. Because at the beginning, you can't go, not so much Keel, because obviously we've not got a lot of visual reference material, but Steed, I love the casting in all of these. I don't think really they've put a foot wrong, to be quite honest. Not, Not majorly. But they've really got Keel and Steed. These are well cast, and it's the great yeah. audios. Yes, I agree. And on that note, we shall sign off. Next week, we'll be listening to Kill the King. Until then, we hope that we've entertained you. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you soon. Bye now. 
They'll be back. You can depend on it. Kinky Boots featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss, with thanks to Studio Canal, Big Finish Productions, and Alan Hayes. Title music was performed by Honor Blackman and Patrick McNee, and the program was produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.